Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. This episode is brought to you by ClearSky. ClearSky is the only identity governance and security solution built natively on ServiceNow. It optimizes enterprise identity and risk management with a platform-first approach. Look, we have built a great digital world where we can plug and play people into our applications and information globally. Great for speedy operations, but can be a real nightmare for risk and security and governance who are left asking, who has access to what? Who authorized that? Should they still have it? When's the last time we checked? This is why CJ and the Duke love ClearSky. All of the benefit of a company with decades worth of ILM and IGA experience with a solution that's built natively on ServiceNow, the platform that we all trust. ClearSky, optimized identity management built natively on ServiceNow. Check the description below for an episode CJ and I did on ClearSky, as well as how to contact them. All right, Corey, what are we talking about today? Yeah. Today, Duke, we're going to talk about the world of work, right? Partners versus customers versus indies. What's the experience that you're going to have in each one of these separate ecosystems and how does it relate all total, right? Like what's going to be the similarities and the, the differences, right, in the ServiceNow ecosystem? All right. Corey and I searched long and hard to find representatives from each of those domains. And we found that we... Um... We found two of them. <laughs> we found two of them right in front of us. <laughs> Corey and I have been in the game a long time, and both of us have worked for partners, we have worked for customers, and we have worked for ourselves. So we feel like we've got the chops to give you some good advice on these. Been there, done that. And for those new to ServiceNow, like this is a good session to listen to just because it's like, once you learn the skills, like where do you go for work? And what kind of work can you be expecting when, when you get there? So what do you think, Corey? We start off with partners? Let's start off at customers because I do feel like more people enter the ServiceNow ecosystem through the customer route than the partner route. But I might be wrong. Maybe I'm biased because that's how I got here. I, I have absolutely no numbers to use as evidence, just mostly gut feel. But I've always gut felt that the partner side gets the most people. Because hmm. part you see like partners have like hundreds of people, right? Customers, like the biggest teams are like a dozen, two dozen. That's a good point, right? That's probably a, one of the key differentiators there too, is that when you're on a customer, you might be anything from the lone wolf to part of a bigger team, but you're not going to be a part of a massive organization like you would be at a, some of the bigger partners, right? That are That's doing true. like just epic numbers of implementations and services work. Since we're here talking about customers, the one thing that struck me as being unique to the customer experience is while you might not learn as fast as when you're at a partner, because like other partners, like one week you're doing CMDB, one week you're doing incident, one week you're doing asset or whatever. But at a customer, you kind of learn what really works. Hmm. And I think- You know, the partner ecosystem sleeps on this a ton because they just like, they're so used to being apex predator. They do the most different jobs and they've seen the most stuff in the trenches, but they also get to go away. (laughs) Yeah, they get to leave, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like really, when's the last time a partner checked in with you when you were a customer to say, how's that thing we built for you like last year? Damn, man, that's a big leak, right? I I didn't even think about that. Like I should probably be checking in with all of my, you know, past customers. Hey. How's it going? (laughs) Right? That thing I built for you still working? So you see what I mean? Like it's the customers that get to figure out what survives the crucible of real life use. 
it's not only that, right? Like the customers also are deeply embedded with the business, right? At least, at least if you're doing it right. That's right. You yeah. Know, you know yeah. what I mean? You know exactly what that business problem looks like. You know the folks who are experiencing it and you work with them on a day-to-day basis for months and years sometimes, right? Yeah. And, and so when you're in the, in, the, in the trenches trying to solve that problem with ServiceNow, you know, it looks a lot different than when you call a partner in. And it just, you know, that's another thing about the partner gets to leave, right? But if you're at a customer, you can't leave. <laughs> and so if, if the job is not a good one, like who does that, whose shoulders does it rest on? Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's good and bad too, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I look at that as a good thing. Like I can't leave, right? This is my instance. I got to make sure it works. And you know, if it if I if I screw it up, right? Like here, I can I can go and fix it. Yeah. When that and, and it's in the fixing, right? That you get the knowledge, right? That's where you learn. It's I felt like it gave me a greater sense of responsibility and accountability too. Like yeah, it mattered to me that this worked when they left, and it frustrated me when it didn't work when they left. And I was like, God, you roll up my sleeves and I'll fix it my damn self. Right. And you know, that instills pride. And then all of a sudden it's just like, okay, listen, like I will be the one who ensures that this thing is completed the way we need it. You know what else Duke? I think it starts to form that architect mindset right of um god where was i going with this i totally so, get you like right away i get you <laughs> <laughs> right like you, you you get where i'm coming from on this right like so when you own that instance right and you and you're okay so i i own the service now instance i'm on and, and i'll just jump right into my persona here as a mm-hmm. you know as a customer um as a person who started off on the customer side, right? Like that's where I started off my service now venture. And as I started to learn the platform, of course, with ServiceNow is you start to learn the platform. You start to realize just how powerful it is and just how much it can do. One of the key things that I think allows you to transition from uh, a customer to a, a pretty kick-ass architect is that internal evangelism of the product. There are problems all over your enterprise to solve. You know the people who are having them. You've hearing, you're hearing them complain about them all the time. And you know that you now own the key right, to fixing those problems for them. That is the gateway to uh, solutions architecture. Like, let's go in here, let's get in, let's get in a conference room. Let's, let's draw out the process of what you're doing now. And let's talk about how that we can insert service now into this process to make your life better. You do that three, four, five times. You're right there, right on your way to being a a world-class architect. Yeah. Shoot. I wasn't expecting you to take that path. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I definitely, like I was getting it, being at a customer, being the one admin or on the team of admins, I think definitively pushes you towards an architect mentality. Again, just because you're accountable for it, not the partner. Right. And so you start forming, like, I mean, half our listeners are probably like, what even is architecture when you're talking right. about software? 
right? It's, a, it's an abstract concept, but it's just, you, you start forming the pathways that say, listen, if we build it this way, it will have less impact on my performance. It'll have less impact on my other apps. It will allow me to capitalize on data that I already have. It will allow me to support this with a lower experience level. It will allow me to hand this off to somebody else. It will allow me to have less administrative tasks and put the data maintenance in the hands of the stakeholders. You see what I mean? Like yeah. partners don't have, they, they do, they do. Like there's, I don't want to rag on partners all day long because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of exquisite ones that will think about this stuff, but they don't have to, <laughs> you know? And yeah, yeah. I think the person that has to more often than not is the person that's most accountable. And the person who's most accountable is the person whose job it is at the company to make service now go. You see what I mean? I do. Absolutely. I look at those as two different um, sides to the same coin. On the one end, you've got the internal identification of the of the problem, right? And then the, the, the solutions architecture portion of it is like, how do we even understand the process and how do we even insert service now into it so that we solve that problem, right? And then you have on the other side, okay, now that we know how to solve that problem using a platform, how do we build it in all the ways that you just outlined, right? So that, you know, from the perspective of owning this, pl this um, platform long term, then it's going to be the least amount of headache for me. I look at that as like, yeah, two, two sides to the same to the same coin, but both just dragging you towards that architect me mentality. And no matter what you're doing in service now, I think it's good to ingest as much of that mentality as you can. Yeah, no it, doubt. It, it affects your work and your design. But maybe so we got a minute left on this topic. Maybe we talk about if you're new to service now and you're the new admin at a customer that already has a team, how do you propel yourself ahead? If you're new to service now and you're the new admin on a team, yeah. how do you like? Let's say okay. I'm, let's say I've, I just passed my CSA. I've been in the ecosystem six months, and somebody hired me to be the new person on their team. And they have oh. senior people, they have mid tier, and they have an architect. Like, what would I do to climb up, earn my oh, bones, get my respect? This one's easy for me. It's two things that I do. The first thing is I ask a whole lot of questions. And everybody who's willing to listen to me and I ask them a ton of questions. And I do that for two reasons, right? One is that I want to learn all I can, right? And the best places to learn that are the people who know it. Two, this is a little per a little um, personality hack or interpersonal hack or or something like that. Like when, when people do you a favor, they feel closer to you, not the other way around. When you do them a favor, they don't feel closer to you. But when you ask a favor and they actually provide it, they feel closer oh, to you. Oh, that's a good, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. So if I do you a favor, I know that there's something about, like, you know what I mean? Like I don't do just anybody a favor. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you, that, that sums it up right there. You don't do just anybody a favor. Right. And so now while I'm asking these questions. Right. And you do me a favor by teaching me these things. Now mm -hmm. you're going to feel closer to me. And that's going to get me a bit more um, immersed in the culture of the team and get folks to start thinking about me as one of them, as a part of the team. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to be they're going to trust me more. And as they trust me more, they're going to give me more things to do. And then it's going to be my responsibility to take those things that they've given me and go and excel at them. Right. But it starts off by asking them a lot of questions, hoping that they'll do me those favors. So then they'll trust me to give me responsibility that I can excel at and, and improve myself. That's awesome. I'll tell you what I do. I do two things. Number one, I learn how to code. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, we got we we must promise ourselves that we will do a whole episode on that. Yes, we, um, we must. The reason I would, because again, it's just like 
technically you don't have to have to have to learn to code to be a ServiceNow admin, but it helps. It opens doors. And so if I started my ServiceNow career with zero JavaScript knowledge, and I was on a team of, of ServiceNow people, which is exactly how I did start, <laughs> <laughs> I would start learning JavaScript as fast as I can because that allows me to step into those real life gaps that happen. Oh, somebody just told us we had to switch our priorities and work on this new dev thing. Well, what about the old dev things that they were building? That's still important. And I got a couple hours and that looks easy enough for me. Why don't I step in and do that? Okay, sure, Rob. There you go. Just finish it off for us. Great. Or I know enough now that I can read code and shoot, we got this weird problem. And now my level one support of the product can go a lot farther. I'm a bigger shield for the dev team so they can keep on doing their dev things while I'm handling bigger and tougher and more nuanced and harder to find problems that might be code-based. I would learn how to code just so I can step into more wildcard opportunities. Okay. And the second okay. thing I would do, this is like a life hack level right here. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, hey, where's our documentation? <laughs> 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 and when they inevitably 90 plus time, uh, percentage of the time say uh we don't really have any i would say may i start memorializing our solution and start documenting everything that they've got and it could be as simple like simple abstract statements at the start we use spm but we only use demand and, pro and project we don't use program portfolio resource yet right. and then just start filling in the stuff as you see it oh we have a custom form on the project form does anybody know what that does? And when they explain it to you, go back to the documentation and write it down. This will give you skills that nobody else exercises in the industry, practically speaking. And it yep. provides a huge value to the team. You're, you're absolutely right. We, and we talk on this show a lot about documentation and the fact that not enough of us are doing it in the field, right? And the fact that that enables the rapid accumulation of technical debt on your platform as you as, as you speed into the future, right? Especially right. with the flexibility and power of ServiceNow and the, uh, and the keenness to continue to build on the platform, right? Going through the platform and documenting everything. And this kind of dovetails back what, what I was saying as well, right? As you do that documentation, you're going to have to ask somebody to look at this thing and say, is this correct? And they're going to, you know, they're going to look at that and, oh, this is awesome. Yep. And then they might start adding stuff to the documentation. And next thing you know, this is a team effort and you started it. Yep. <laughs> and you, you could be the one, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and convinces the entire industry that, okay, we're going to do this from now on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Or, or at least whatever corner that you end up in. All right, wow, we're like 15 minutes in on the one. <laughs> I know, man. You're like, yeah, we got another minute on this one. I'm like, yeah, uh, man, what does he tell you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? We're 70 some in. <laughs> There's no fighting it. Why fight it? Why fight it? Okay. Um, you know what so happens, the though, is, right? We edit it down. It's like under 30 anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, I mean, we throw out a lot of this stuff that you guys don't hear. With some of the fun stuff, we should do an outtakes episode one day. That'd be pretty fun. <laughs> Just consult my what would Chuck Tomasi do bracelet. <laughs> Does that for all his stuff. Yeah. What's up with working for partners? So I, I've worked for a partner for quite a while. Um, for me, it's interesting. I didn't feel comfortable working for a partner until I felt I'd learned almost everything I needed to know working for a customer. And that doesn't mean I learned everything about service now, right? There was still a lot that I needed to learn um, and that I have learned um, ever since I left the customer side. But I felt like I needed to have 
a certain level of skill in my own eyes before I felt comfortable working for a partner and then them portraying me as an expert to a great many of folks over yeah. a longer time frame. You know what I mean? Over I, a short oh, time I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, I think partners are a great place to start. Huh. Okay. And I say that not just from my ServiceNow experience, right? We go all the way back to Magic Total Service Desk, right? Yeah, no and doubt. while you inherited Magic Total Service Desk from your day job, right? You were a customer. Yeah. Like I came out of college and my employer was just looking for people with university degrees that would be easy to get work visas to go to the States for certain types of work. And so they were just like, don't care what you went to school for. Come here. We're going to teach you Magic Tool Service Desk. <laughs> and so I learned it and this company did it right. They sent me on like four or five implementations, just shadowing people. Oh, you know, yeah. and the first one is just like sit, just like sit in a room and say nothing. Just like, <laughs> just be quiet and watch. Uh, and then, you know, every job in, you get a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And then the last one, you lead, but your senior is like right there with you. And so you got into it gradually. And then when you were at home, it was just like boot camp, boot camp, boot camp, boot camp, learn, 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 learn. Right. And it didn't take long for me to like literally know more than the customers did. So I think it's a great place to get your skill quickly. But what I would add to that is just remember what we said about being a customer. It's the customers that figure out which things last the longest. No matter how much you think the differential is between your skill and the customer's skill who's hiring you to do stuff, keep your ears open for insights. That's a good point. I've seen some things working for a partner, right? Like so you you end up in, in a situation where there are multiple, well, you see multiple clients, right? And you jump in somewhere and you think, wow, who did this? Or why'd you do it this way? Or I never thought to do it that way. And I think we jump into a situation like this when you're seeing multiple clients and you come in, you obviously want to think of yourself as the expert because that's what they're paying you for. And that's what you need to portray to them. But you can't think of yourself as the unqualified expert with nothing to learn because yeah. there is always something to learn from pretty much anyone that you can imagine. Right. So I, I love that, like keeping your ears open. Like whenever you um, w whenever you start a gig or whenever you're working on a gig, because you never know like what they're doing that might be something that's useful for your toolbox that you've never heard of. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like one of my older mentors at that job, this way before service now, but it's still ITSM tools is basically like he said, the, the reason we're able to be, get expertise is because each of these customers is going to teach us something that we didn't see before, whether they know it or not. Right. And so it was kind of like, that served me really well. I mean, remember the Deb Quinton episode? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to learn if you just sit and listen to them for half a second about what's really, you know, we told the story of this ServiceNow customer who did a ServiceNow implementation. The deployment team was all about like best practices and da, 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 but they didn't listen for a second about why healthcare was different. They just assumed this was just another customer where we deploy the same, same stuff at. And they missed a huge opportunity to learn some really crazy nuanced stuff. Sorry, I totally went on a rant there. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, though. Domain expertise, right? You don't have it in all cases. So we all, not all of us do, because as you just said, you jumped straight into this uh, two feet first. But a lot of us, right, like have worked in various verticals, became who we are in the ServiceNow ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so we, some of us do have like some various domain related expertise, right? Like I'm pretty good around like, the consulting space, right? Um, I did a lot there and, and also in finance. It's important that when you find yourself doing something that's outside of your typical experience or, or skills on that you 
that you are willing to learn, that you are willing to understand like the use cases that that customer is utilizing the product with, because you just never know. Some of the stuff is going to translate. Some of it isn't. I, I worked with an MSP um, and did some stuff with them in Time Cards, one of my first projects. But I learned so much from that client and the way that they were using ServiceNow from an MSP perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just stuff that I carried with me going forward and being able to, to look at other folks in the ecosystem in the future, like future yeah. me felt a whole lot better about those situations was able to um, contextualize the platform in, in terms of that domain experience as well. This is the dichotomy, right? So if you come on as a customer, you tend to figure out the stuff that lasts that's, and the stuff that scales the best. But if you come on as a partner, you get to learn those neat little nuances that you get to take with you other places, right? This place right. had that problem. We can maybe try that again here. And you think about if you do, oh man, it's been so long since I work for a partner. Let's say you do like five yeah. to 10 big jobs a year. That's 10 that's- things that you've learned that like the average person doesn't get to. So that's a good point, right? Like it really compresses the learning curve because when you're at a customer, you got the instance, you typically have much longer time frames, right? Your time horizon on getting changes um, baked in are typically a little bit longer. You, you've got a lot more um, kind of autonomy on on set in the beginning and the ending of, yeah, this looks like about three months worth of work. This looks like about six months worth of work, right? And mm-hmm. and they're paying you regardless, so they're not being too pushy. When you're on a partner, like that contract is signed, that is definitively three months of work. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that that is tough. I mean, everybody's got expectations that they wrestle with, but I think partners have it worse. Yeah. Because basically they've settled on an amount of money and that mo- amount of money is fixed, right? It's kind of like, yep. we're going to pay you $50,000 in return. You're going to give us, uh, my math brain isn't working right now, but like Dude, X number whatever. of hours. But if it yeah. ends up going over the hours, you're eating into some, like your your boss's 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 revenue. <laughs> you know? Right. And uh, it, it doesn't look good and it's hard. Yeah. So, you know, on the, cons- on the working for a partner side, I find that, you can get stuck between a rock and a hard place more often and more intensely. But what it also does is it allows you to experience more projects over the course of a year Mm -hmm. than anyone else will. And if you're trying to skill up quickly, if you're trying to really learn service now and learn how to solve problems for for folks live in the field, right, in Technicolor, (laughs) this is how you do it. (laughs) I got to say, too, another thing I love about like I wish I had done when I worked at Partners is paid a lot more intention, attention to the artifacts that they prepare, right? Because professional services is all about like maximizing those billable hours. And so they'll often have artifacts that are ready to get the the, the grunt work out of the way faster so they can get to the good stuff. And so oh, it's like, you know what I mean? Or train train the most junior people to do the most senior stuff as fast as possible. So it's yeah. like- Oh, hey, you're going to do a performance analytics workshop. You got the basics down, but run the workshop with this template. Right. You, don't, you don't even have to think about, well, how do I run a performance analytics workshop? They'll show you once. Then you have this piece of paper that shows you how to do it. They have just like stacks and stacks of assets that helps them scale their resources faster. And if I could go back, I would pay a lot more attention to those docs because they help everybody. Like I bring those kind of docs to my new customers terms of like coding standards and that kind of stuff yeah and it's like they've never even conceived that this could be done and so that's a great thing about partners and if you go the partner route pay close attention to the artifacts that they give you 
Fair enough. I, I totally agree with you on that. Those artifacts really do serve as a, a good way to boost you into the ecosystem and get you started on things that probably are typically above your head. But now you got training wheels to help you through it. So yeah. uh, the last thing about partners, too, and, and this kind of is a segue into the independent consulting world, is that working for a partner teaches you how to be a consultant. In a lot of cases, not all the cases, because not everyone working for a partner will be client facing, but most people mm. in the ServiceNow ecosystem working for a partner tend to be client facing at some point in time, right? Yeah. And learning how to do that well really allows you to build a skill set that enables you to go out on your own as an independent consultant in the future, if that's what you decide to do. Can't agree more and can't add anything to that. That's <laughs> definitely true. Well, I mean, I think there's something to be said about having both to have been a customer and a yeah. partner because the customer again has the, yeah, I know what it was like to be left with an app that barely worked. I know what it was like to go back and try and support this thing when the partner's long gone and there's no documentation. And so there's an appreciation there for having been a customer, what your customers will experience. Agreed. From my perspective, the one thing that separates an independent consultant from working for a partner and working for a customer is accountability. I'm now accountable to the solution. My name, my reputation, my company, my mm -hmm everything right is accountable to delivering a good solution for this customer and creating that brand for myself so that i can continue to be fruitful in this space as a partner you have some of that but you're working for somebody else there is somebody else's larger brand on the hook and you could end up screwing it up but they'll just find one of their rock stars and insert them on that client who'll clean up the mess behind you and, you know, maybe credit some hours or something like that. They'll take a little bit of egg on the face, but they'll fix it, right? Especially if it's a bigger partner, they'll fix it. They've done this before. You know, you want to be good because like everyone does, but you don't necessarily have to. It's not existential in most cases. But when you're an independent consultant, it can be existential, right? A lack of accountability can be existential. So it's one of the first things that you want to think about and that you want to um, internalize is that anytime you step foot in an instance, I like that step foot in an instance. Anytime you. <laughs> Does it make a squishy sound? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unless it's well documented. <laughs> But anytime you step foot in the instance, right, like your your name's on the line for this thing, you're on the hook. And if that whatever contract you sign with your client and that, that time is up and they walk away with an app that's barely functioning, it's not big four consultant that's on the hook for this. They're not about to call in like their rock star to bail you out. Like yeah. this is you, man. You got to fix this. Nobody's coming to save you. Yeah. Nobody's coming to save you. That's a great way to say it, dude. Nobody's coming to save you. So that to me is a probably the number one thing I think about when I think about my transition from customer to partner to independent consultant, right, is that accountability. And, you know, I, I, I honestly feel it more keenly when I'm working through other folks than I do when I'm working on my own. But I mean, yeah, that accountability, you just can't, you can't miss it. At least I can't. Yeah. Isn't it odd? Like it's scary at first, right? It's yeah. really scary. And what I said earlier about if you're working for a partner, you can get stuck between a rock and a hard place really intensely, but not nearly as intensely if you're on your own. Like, Yeah, you're working without a net, right? Yeah, you can, <laughs> you can eat a gigantic crap sandwich sometimes <laughs> Like if you, do, if you mess it. But I guess it prompts you to be more careful. It prompts you to be more, what do you call it, when you're just emphatically rule following? No, we will not take that risk. Or you get somebody else to take that risk for you. 
Yeah, and it, you get sign off. You get, yeah. you know, you get, you make sure you got you you, you CYA on everything, right? Yeah, like, like you explain. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you, you have a customer that says, "I want you to build this," and if you're employed by them or you're working for a partner, it's you know done deal. You have to. You can put up a good fight and try and convince them, but when you're an independent consultant, there's always the option to politely decline and walk away. A good part of my job, I think, is telling people no. Yeah. Just doing it in a way where they like me for it. And that's because not every change is a good change. Or not every functionality, not, not every piece of functionality you want to implement is good functionality. And and yeah. especially not the way that you want to do it, right? Like sometimes you, got, you really do need to take a step back and say, you know, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Like you came to me with a solution you wanted me to build. But you didn't tell me what the, what the problem was that we're, that we're trying to solve here, and 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 you know, and give me a chance to participate in that solution making process with you, right? Because uh-huh. I can, I've got expertise I can bring to this. You've got a problem, but I've built solutions, <laughs> you yeah. know. And if you exclude me from that process, then I don't think you're utilizing your money in the best way possible, right? Like there's a lot of value you're leaving on the table by by not getting my input earlier in that process. I find I'm always involved in at least one project at any given time where what I'm doing is so far away from the original ask. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They all seem to drift. Yeah. Like I had one customer that came that said, said, we need your help on this ITBM thing. And what it ended up was that they, they were trying to put something in ITBM that was fundamentally not made for. And no matter how many different ways you put these inputs in, it's not going to output what Right. So let's build you something custom where you take these inputs and it develops these outputs. Right. And that's what they did. And we're going off topic again there. But I guess what no. else? Like what 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 does a new person to service now need or want to know about the indie route? I would say that you should not tackle it until you've had experience working for a partner or working for a customer. Yeah. Right? Unless you've cried yourself to sleep one night, like <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the minimum threshold for even considering it yeah seriously right like i mean this is it's hard it's hard right if you're new especially if you're new it's hard if you've got anything i say less than three years of experience um you just haven't seen enough and there's no way i think that you have i shouldn't say no way most folks don't have enough real world experience yeah. uh, they don't have enough consultative approach um, they don't have enough vocabulary to speak to the business and in the terms that they care about versus the technical terms that you've typically internalized on right. your ServiceNow journey. Like you don't have enough of that foundation to sit across the boardroom from, you know, someone who's got a VP title and tell them, pick me. Or even let's say I came to the ServiceNow ecosystem when I'm 50, right? I've been doing IT consultant consulting for 20 years already. I could say I've got all the chops to meet people in the boardroom, but it's just like, what are you going to do from a ServiceNow perspective? Like you might have brilliant interpersonal consulting soft skills. Yeah. You might have all the process knowledge in the world, but if you actually want to advise on ServiceNow, like with only a couple months in, you're merely adequate, maybe. So I agree. It's it's not a starting point, but it's not a starting point if you're like new to the technology world. But it's also not a starting point if you're old to the technology technology world, but inexperienced with service now. Like you have to have the tool experience. Yeah, absolutely. Because like we just said, right, there's nobody coming to save you. You're out there working without a net. 
And if you get into a situation where you've sold something that you can't fulfill, now you're really your back is against the wall. And look, no better way to learn it. (laughs) No, there is going to be no more, uh, no better way to learn than being under duress and pressure, right? Like, oh my God, I've just told these people that I can build this thing. They told me, you know, they sent me a check for half of it up front and I've got nowhere to start, right? Like, I mean, at that point, you better crack open a community and docs and LinkedIn and and, and Tomasi. (laughs) How would you even get the, how would you even get the work? How would you convince somebody enough to like, get you on as a service now consultant when you literally like you don't have the skills to well because it, yeah because in most cases though the, the customer knows less than you do right and just because the customer knows less than you do doesn't mean you know enough if i was going to add anything else to the independent consulting discussion and we actually did a whole episode on life as an independent you can check that out we'll have a link in the description below is that it's harder to arrange work when you work for somebody it's just you're there for x amount of hours in a day And whether there's work enough for you or not, kind of doesn't matter. You're getting paid for that amount of access. If you work for a ServiceNow partner, it's completely somebody else's problem what you're doing. On what job you're on next, what's coming next, that is somebody else's job to worry about, not yours. Yeah. If you're an indie consultant, it's just, if I'm lucky enough to get one customer that wants 40 hours per week, I still have to look for work during that time. And rare is the case where it's like, on a Friday, my one gig ends, and on a Monday, my other gig starts. Ooh, yeah, because you're talking <laughs> about running a business, right? Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and it's just kind of like, okay, well, it's like, do I want to work eighty-hour weeks for a couple of weeks, and then the other customer's like, oh, we need, we're going to delay some stuff, but we get some other work to backfill you with, and now all of a sudden, it's like you either have way too much or way too little, and it's never, it's rarely even. And I think so many people have this idea: I'm going to get into independent consultant, I'm going to get. Oh, I'm going to get two two customers at 20 hours each. That's going to make it so easy. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, not. right? It's going to take, oh man, the last customer I took at 20 hours per week, they literally only had five hours of stuff for me to do when I started. It took me like eight weeks to ramp up to 20. Right. Anyways, that whole scheduling thing is a real, it's a real thing. It's a real problem. It keeps me up at night. But if you're even thinking at all, at all, at all about going indie, at some point in your life, you have to realize that it, it does not fit together nicely. It's like playing, playing Tetris, but there's no similar shapes. <laughs> <laughs> there's no repeating shapes whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you on that, Duke. I mean, it's, you know, it is it is very, it is chaos. It's the definition of living in chaos. Like, I'm, I'm sure some people do it better than I do. Right? I, I kind of like the chaos, to be quite honest with you. It kind of keeps it keeps me engaged, but you are absolutely right. Like you're never going to have a clean cutoff, right? At least I haven't. Where the one customer stopped on like March 30th, and the other customer picked up on April 3rd. That's never happened for me. There's always some overlap, or there's always a project that you start and you assume they're going to be ready for you. So you're budgeting 40 hours a week, and then it turns out they're not ready, right? And that you've got like 10 hours a week, or God forbid, it's a discovery project and security didn't know you were coming, right? And so now they got to debate within themselves for two weeks whether or not they should turn over credentials, right, to actually start scanning the, um, the infrastructure and things like that, right? So now you're semi on the bench. And I say semi because you're still got to be available because security is going to want to meet with you. They're going to want to send you emails. You got to turn that crap around, but it's not enough to pay the bills, right? So how do you 
manage all of this. And I think this is like consulting 201 episode that we really kind of need to do, Duke, um, because there's some advanced concepts here that I know you and I have both been flirting with. I don't know if we've really put them into uh, practice yet, but, mm-hmm. you know, some things that I feel like we can do to, to make this a easier transition for us. But I think it's going to be, I also think you need a certain level of brand and reputation and skill set to do some of the things that we've been talking about that we want to do as evidenced by the fact that we haven't done them yet. (laughs) (laughs) Slap my hand. (laughs) Just to kind of round it off, I would not suggest jumping straight in as an indie unless you've picked up some, some skill working for a partner or working for a customer. I don't even think you could, if you wanted to, it's just kind of like put that in your, you know, forward looking prospectus. What, what might independent consulting look like years from now? But for now, use the starting two points of our show to figure out, like, do you want to go customer or partner? Or at least know how, where you're going to maximize your skills when you take whatever opportunity comes to you. And we are at Absolutely. 42 minutes of record, so we should probably think about. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to wrap this one up. Thanks, everyone, for coming out. God bless. Goodbye. Thanks. See you <laughs> on the next one. Ciao. CJ and the Duke is hosted by Robert the Duke Fedoric and Corey CJ Wesley. We are both freelance vendor agnostic ServiceNow experts who can help you in three different ways. If you want a true consigliere in your corner for your ServiceNow implementation, if you want to tell your customer story on CJ and the Duke, or if you want your brand in front of the largest independent ServiceNow podcast community, check the links below for how to contact us. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.